worship. It's good to see you. Thank you to Jennifer, who is playing for us today, taking the organ bench on uh, behalf of Lily. So uh, that does mean that, <clears throat> pardon me, for our worship setting today, we will be using setting four rather than the supplement. So it's probably a good time to talk to you about the occasion of the day being Good Shepherd Sunday, which happens every year on the fourth Sunday of Easter. And I do like to emphasize that Easter is more a season than it is a single day. And that allows us to contemplate what it means to be people of the resurrection. So as we do that today, <clears throat> sure, I'll gather my thoughts. <laughs> on Bill to say something, but Bill, I think Seneca has said it all, hasn't she? Yeah, thank you. So you are off the hot seat then. You're, you're okay. But the rest of us look forward to Ladies' Night coming up this week and uh, supporting Rose City Kids. So, uh, I will talk a bit about the sermon today because it's going to require some assembly. So it's like an Ikea sermon. You're going to have to do some, putting some stuff together. So here's what I'm inviting us to do. That is that there is a line from the gospel today where Jesus talks about abundant life. We're going to attempt to connect that to the concluding lines of the 23rd Psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I have a hunch you will have those lines drawn before the sermon, but I'm going to attempt to uh, sketch that out a little bit with a couple of items of word study. I tell you this because there is a written version of a sermon that won't be preached today. So if you would like to go online, you will find the sermon that was prepared earlier in the week that I think takes a different angle to Good Shepherd Sunday, but I, I think maybe it will be useful for us to make these connections in another way today. So we'll see how this goes. according to St. John, the 10th chapter. Jesus says, 
Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run away from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Gospel of our Lord. Won't you be seated? Grace and peace to you from God, our loving Creator, Jesus, the Good Shepherd, the Spirit who gathers us together to bear witness to God's mighty acts and merciful love in the world. So I'm going to do a quick look around, make sure you're okay. I did warn you that you were going to have to work a little today, so I hope you're not too nervous. We're going to do a little word study, and the reason for this, I think it opens up maybe some urgency to what Jesus has to say. So, some of you grew up hearing from the King James Bible, and I'm going to trot that out for a second. Verily, verily, I say unto you. You know what it really means? Listen up. This next bit is important. So whether you say very truly, I tell you, or verily, verily, Jesus is very much wanting us to pay close attention to what comes next. With the two listen-ups in the today's gospel, Jesus is offering himself, one unique, one offering himself as willing to give himself even for us. And when he speaks of abundant life, he speaks about an enduring, loving relationship with himself. Maybe in our culture, when we think of abundance, we think about stuff. And we can be forgiven that, maybe. When you think about that very first sign that Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee, where water became wine, that was all about abundance and about joy. But if we take that literally, we might think, well, that's all that God provides is wine. <laughs> but in fact, God is providing and promising presence with us come what may. So we have abundant life here, now that we're listening up. And if we go to the psalm, the very last line, surely goodness 
and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I don't know if I was out playing Frisbee during Hebrew class when they talked about this, but it was much later in my career, even as a pastor, that I heard about the translating of surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And it opened up some pathways to understand a bit about how God seems to operate in the world and in our lives. Surely actually means more like when it's all said and done. Ultimately, if you like a single word. Come what may, goodness and mercy shall follow me. The word follow is kind of a misrendering into English. Words that would fit better? To chase, to pursue, to cling, or even as one translator puts it, to hound us. So if you've ever heard that expression, the hounds of heaven, there you are. So God's goodness and God's mercy through thick and thin adhere to our lives. It chases us, it pursues us. And doesn't that say that God's love is actually then unshakable? So when Jesus promises abundant life in the form of himself and in that enduring presence of God, I think we can be easily forgiven for wanting to put together that notion with surely goodness and mercy shall pursue us all of the days of our lives and we shall be ever present with God. And what does that look like? Well, if you go online and peek at the sermon, we expand a little bit on that to say, if you look at our Lenten readings, all of those examples of Jesus encountering people, particularly the person who was healed of blindness. But we can ask ourselves the same question. I'm still thinking about a council meeting that I went home from feeling very inspired and energized. Sometimes council meetings in some places are maybe about business, and we do business. I won't kid you about that. But we had a, I thought, a very soulful conversation about, well, where does God show up? Where is God's goodness and mercy evident in our lives? And people shared stories that ranged from being spared from disaster to that still small voice that guides us to people showing up just at the right time when you need them the most. So I would invite you, as you assemble today's sermon, and even as you build in a little bit of a take-home, to think about that for a while in this Easter season. Where is it that God shows up for you? And how is it that God shows up for you? And what does resurrection look like for you as you go through your week, as you go through your day? As you do that, and as we're together, I for one say thanks be to God whose goodness and whose mercy follows, pursues, 
and clings to us. Whether that's in the valley of the shadow of death or whether that is in those green pastures where we get a chance to take a breather and to remember just how good God is to us and to our world.